Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Karen Weaver. The role of chair of a board of regents at any university is very complex. You must work well with other board members, with the university administration, and work to strengthen the direction of the institution. Being a board chair during a pandemic is one thing, but leading one of the most high-profile universities in the nation during a pandemic and a presidential election is quite another. My guest today is Denise Illich, chair of the University of Michigan Board of Regents. The Board of Regents make major decisions that affect all three of the University of Michigan campuses in Ann Arbor, Flint, and Dearborn. Amongst the many matters decided by the board are tuition rates, approval of professorial appointments, librarians, and the appointment of administrators. Needless to say, the decisions they make have profound impact on the lives of students. Denise has been an integral part of Detroit's business and philanthropic communities for 30 years as a dedicated business leader, devoted community servant, and supporter of many charitable causes. She is also president of Illich Enterprises, LLC, and the co-owner of the 220 Restaurant Hospitality Group. She previously served as president of Illich Holdings, a privately held business that manages such entities as Little Caesar Enterprises, yes, Little Caesar's Pizza, the Detroit Red Wings, the Detroit Tigers, and Olympia Entertainment. She is a very proud first-generation student and graduate of the University of Michigan. The Michigan Regents operate very differently than other university fiduciaries. They run for office and are elected by the citizens of Michigan. Denise first joined the Regents in 2008 and her current term expires in 2025. Wow. We were originally going to have this conversation on April 1st, but as it was opening day, Denise was at the Detroit Tigers home opener in the snow. And Denise, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here with you. Uh, yeah, again, I, you had some snow last week in, in Michigan at the Tigers home opener, but now it looks like it's a better day today. Yeah, I mean, that's Michigan weather. It just changes. It goes from one extreme to another. It was crazy having snow uh, during the opening day, but we won, so it was all worth it. All worth it when you win. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Well, you you have had, just in reading your background, you, you've had a long history as a vocal advocate for higher education. You and your family have endowed scholarships at Walsh University and your alma mater, the University of Michigan. Why is this kind of advocacy so important for public universities? Well, it's, it's, first of all, it's a passion of mine and I feel privileged to have received the education that I personally have had. Um, but I think it's important for public universities um, because it allows uh, access for those in need doing scholarships. Um, you know, a formal educa college education is becoming more and more expensive and access is really important. So we feel strongly, I feel strongly about trying to do my part to provide others to get an education. Um, I, I also think my personal opinion is that um, Many of the problems that we face in society, I think all lead back to education. Mm -hmm. um, I think all roads lead back to education. And so that's why I think it's important that public universities, um, that, that, that you, we advocate for education um, for public universities. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, you know, I come from a long line of educators. My mom was a principal and a teacher. My grandfather was a principal and a superintendent. I, I just totally get that public education is a really necessary commodity. Yes, very much so. I was, you know, I'm the opposite of you. I was the first, in a sense, I was the first to graduate from college in my family. Oh. And my parents didn't go to college. I was the, I'm the oldest of seven. So I was the first to, to venture out and receive a college education. And it changed your life, which is what we hope so many college degrees do, you know? Yep, it changed my life and it prepared me for much to come. Well, speaking of that, you've been a member of the Board of Regents at, at Michigan since 2008. That, that's a remarkable uh, thing. And I started diving into your board structure as part of my preparation for a board retreat that you held uh, a month and a half or so ago, and where the board spent a half a day studying some of the emerging trends in college athletics. Tell my listeners about the thinking behind doing board retreats and how they inform your thinking and strategy as a board. Okay. Uh, well, first, you did a great job, and thank you for participating in that. Sure. Um, it's really, board retreats are really helpful to boards in the sense that um, it, it helps us govern more effectively. We're able to kind of hit the pause button from the day-to-day -day business of the university and really sit back and uh, talk about strategy, talk about reputational risk and really kind of plan, talk about our priorities and plan the year uh, accordingly. Um, we discuss, we have speakers come and talk to us about sharing trends and they share trends with us about best practices, kind of what's happening, what I would say on the ground um, in real time. And so we have time to really brainstorm, share ideas and, and, and plan for the uh, future. Some of our issues that we face are very complex. And so it allows us time to really talk about the complex issues and set the goals uh, for the future, set policy for the future. And then of course, team building. As with any retreat in an organization, uh, team building and improving communication amongst the board and with the administration is also very helpful. I think that's really critical. And again, remind our listeners how the Board of Regents at, at, at Michigan is chosen. Well, we are, we are somewhat unusual in that we are statewide elected officials. So we have an eight-year term. And while the business that we do generally remains nonpartisan, we do affiliate with a political party, uh, and then we run with that party. Got it. So you represent citizens as yes. well as the, the, the campus community at large. Is there any ever any conflict in feeling how that's how you represent that? You know, none, none come to mind. Um, generally, we represent the general, you know, the Michigan citizens and students are part of the citizenry. Um, so uh, we're funded by taxpayer dollars, not 100%, obviously. Uh, but we tend to try to represent all. It does get a little complicated sometimes because there's multiple stakeholders yes. uh, at the university. And you would be really familiar with that. Students, faculty, administrators, donors, um, community uh, people. So, but overall we try to, to wear a hat for everyone. 
Yeah, and, and that's not easy. And some of these boards are huge. I mean, I can think of some campuses that have boards as large as 40 or 45 people. So nine, it's nine or nine. It's eight. It's eight, eight on your board. Yeah. yeah. You get to know each other pretty well in that in those uh, meetings, I would think. We do. I can't imagine a board that large and operating a university, but we get to know one another. Um, each person is a community leader and highly accomplished in their own right, but it's been very good from a governance standpoint because everyone brings their expertise, their gifts, um, you know, to the community, to, to the university. And it's really helpful in having diverse opinions yeah. when discussing the issues that we do. So how much time on a typical board docket, not at a retreat, but a typical board docket, do you spend talking about athletics? Do you have a standing committee, board committee on athletics? No, and I, you know, that's such a um, great thought, a standing committee on athletics. We don't, we have other committees in other areas. I would say we generally, um, you know, unless there's a crisis or a complex issue, we don't spend too, too much time on athletics. We review the budget of athletics. We vote on the budget of athletics. We get updates on athletics. Um, we certainly share our thoughts uh, on athletics, but unless there's a major problem or a new issue coming down the pike, um, we don't spend a whole lot of time on academics. Really, the majority of our time um, in that area is spent on academic excellence. Interesting, interesting. Um, so the board, did you have much involvement in the in the decisions to play college football, Big Ten college football last fall? Was that brought to the board? It was. Um, the president shares with us um, some of the conversations amongst the presidents with the Big, with Big Ten. Um, but we tend, we, we always give our opinion. We're not a shy group, that's for sure. But, um, you know, the president and Big Ten really set the policy um, uh, with respect to last year. Yeah. So you, you uh, operate as advisors more than uh, consenters. Yes. It, yeah. You know, if we have this really strong feeling and all board members are in agreement, it, it will influence the president of course. Um, but generally, that's what we hired the president to do is to is to run the day to day operation of the university. So we allow him to do that, as you would expect. It's always a balancing act as to what falls into what bucket. But for the most part, that's uh, where we're coming from. You know, it's 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 refreshing to hear because I've interviewed other other folks on other campuses around the country. And uh, the, some of them get really frustrated with the amount of meddling that board members do in either the day-to-day -day operations of the campus or in hiring and firing football coaches. So it's refreshing to hear that the board kind of knows where their boundaries are. Right, well, if you, maybe if you asked our president, he'd feel different. <laughs> I haven't met many presidents that, that say their board, you know, stays out of their business. It, it, it overlaps sometimes, but yeah. really that's, that's our intention that we always, come from that place. Um, I've, I've even seen situations where large donors um, feel that they can weigh in on yes. your example, hiring a, you know, hiring a coach or, or some of the operation of the university. And that's just um, not something that we do. So last week was a challenging week for the board in a very public way. And I, and I appreciate your willingness to talk about this to the degree that you can. Um, you had a, a regent, uh, Ron Weiser, is that how you pronounce his name? Yes. Weiser, yeah. 
Yes. Who, uh, in his, I guess his day job is he's the Republican uh, committee chair for the for the state of Michigan. Uh, is that, do yes. I have that right? Yes, a co-chair. He has another person that's a co-chair with him. Okay. Yes. Who said some unfortunate things uh, about um, about women who are in high positions in the government in in Michigan? Perhaps you could share with us what happened, and then also why the board decided to get involved. Well, it was a very difficult week. Um, um, what, what he had made some remarks at a political event and he was recorded while he was making the remarks. So basically, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. So any of the listeners that are interested, look up exactly the words, but, um, basically we have three, uh, female leaders in our community, um, the governor, the attorney general and the secretary of state. And he was talking about them in the election in 2022. And he referred to them as witches and the three witches and then, you know, softening it up uh, so that they can be burned at the stake. He then made a remark, somebody in the audience said, what about our witches? And we have, there are two Republican um, congressmen or political um, officials that voted that the election was accurate, that it, you know, that it wasn't rigged. Um, and so he said, look, I don't know what you expect me to do. You've got to work at trying to unseat them. Um, you know, other than assassinating them, I can't tell you what else to do. Something along those lines, oh I won't have okay. the exact words. And so a firestorm um, broke out and really in the community. Uh, the video was released publicly and um, we received hundreds of emails and calls um, from our community asking for his resignation. Uh, he eventually, I think he, it took two days, but he eventually apologized and it was, um, some would characterize as, you know, sort of an apology. Um, wasn't really a heartfelt apology, which really, um, you know, enraged the community again. Mm. And so um, as a result, the board made a decision to, to hold a special meeting and to pass uh, a, a resolution for his resignation. And he was also removed uh, from his committee membership. So, um, from that he was a member of two committees uh, and was, yeah. And so, and was removed uh, from that. And I, I think the decision that was made by the board, um, one, we had one board member abstain and he himself um, uh, was not, he was present for a, a little bit of it, but did not vote. So I think that the board felt that it had crossed a line. Mm -hmm and that uh, there was a, a very significant conflict between being a political party chair and being a board of regent. Um, he just, uh, you know, obviously is unable and was unable to manage the conflict in his public life um, with this. So it was really unfortunate. I felt I really felt for you uh, in that situation because it's 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 tough enough when you're any board, but when you're a board that's elected by the citizens of the state, it, it had to be it, it had to have so many layers of 
of difficulty. And I think one step you tried was censure, censuring. Did, did that actually go through? Well, we never used that word. Okay. And I think that was more of a public word. It was not part of the resolution. Uh, the resolution was basically, and it was read into the record, basically outlining um, kind of the conduct and then asking for his resignation. Now on our board um, in Michigan and Michigan law, we can't remove a public official, a, uh, a publicly elected official, unless uh, there's a recall or the governor has the ability uh, to remove. And there are layers. It, it's, a, it's a really good point uh, of yours that um, it injects a lot of politics because he is a party chair. Um, and so it, it, it made it that much more complicated. Yeah, very, very, very difficult situation coming off of a very difficult presidential election and all, you know, all kinds of other issues, yeah. the COVID-19 pandemic, yeah. Right, one thing I was really proud of though is that um, you know, one in three women experience some kind of violence. And, and generally it's women who have to complain about it, report that kind of thing. It was refreshing to see all of the male, my male colleagues um, represent kind of what's right and wrong and acknowledge that that kind of violent rhetoric um, leads to violent acts. It, it, and so um, that was uh, a silver lining, I guess, to me. You know, we, we talk a lot about that in so many as, uh, aspects of, of life, you know, not, not standing by and letting others get away with that yes. kind of talk or get away mm -hmm. with that kind of behavior. Mm -hmm. So particularly in a professional setting where, where there's already enough challenges in being a board member to have colleagues step up like that, right. that's, pretty, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was the first time we've experienced a special meeting um, on this subject matter in 200 years Wow! in, in our history. So being that you're in that position, do you have any advice or guidance for trustees or presidents from other institutions if they come into some sort of a similar politically fraught situation? Well, I think it's um, really important for boards to um, deal with issues of conflict, either through the bylaws um, or whatever their format is, so that it's very clear what they consider a conflict and what they don't consider a conflict. Um, I do think that board, board trustees should think about before they join a board, um, do I, am I doing anything that is in conflict? And I'm, am I prepared to say no to requests um, of any kind of role that I might take on that may conflict with the current role that I have? I also think it's important that boards have a code of conduct mm. uh, or a code of ethics um, so that everyone is in agreement as to um, what is the proper uh, conduct. I think, uh, you know, or a standard of behavior. Uh, I also think it's important for universities to think about when they name buildings. Um, and we certainly thought about it in the sports business when we built uh, Comerica Park. And obviously it took on, uh, you know, the name of a bank. Um, 
but think about are there standards of behavior in the donor agreements when you have naming rights um, and think about should there be more than one if you have seven buildings on your campus with a name and then something occurs you know how does the university uh, something bad occurs how does the university feel about that and then just to to um, talk about um, the incompatibility of roles you know maybe it's not a legal conflict um, but it is in, incompatible and, and I think boards should be very transparent about you know how they feel about that yeah and what is the what is the best way with which to deal with that so you are the most effective board member you can be and you could even add endowed chairs or endowed head coaching yes. positions, you know, those kinds yes, of things. Exactly. Well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, obviously Michigan's a part of the Big Ten. Um, and I'm curious as to whether you interact much with the other Big Ten board chairs. And if so, how, do, how does that happen? You know, not really. I don't really interact with them. I am attending, in, in, I think it's next week, as a matter of fact, the National Conference on uh, Trusteeship, which is um, by AGB, which is the Association of Governing Boards in Universities and Colleges. And many times I will meet, of course, we're in COVID now, so it's all virtual, but in the past, um, we interact with all different people, um, you know, in, in different capacities and positions at universities, but nothing formal. Hmm, interesting. Um, I, what, the reason I ask is that the Big Ten has this remarkable, and I don't know how many other uh, Power Five conferences have this, but remarkable ability to gather like-minded positions and have them meet regularly. So the presidents will meet, the ADs will meet, the 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 compliance officers will meet, the financial aid officers will meet, but the um, the board chairs don't meet. That's interesting. No, I mean maybe there's something out there that I'm not familiar with. I'd be really interested to 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 do that. Um, because boy, could we would have a lot to talk about and, and share share ideas. I'm just not familiar with any. Interesting, interesting. Uh, we should put that on our agenda. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, listen. Based on our conversation with the uh, with the retreat, you all are obviously keenly aware that college athletics is facing some serious headwinds, and also facing um, very real change that could happen as early as this summer. Yes. Um, how are you preparing for that in relation to maintaining success across all Michigan sports and also adjusting to the increasingly increasing likeliness that athletes will be even more of an equal partner than they've been in the past? Yes. Well, um, I, you know, first of all, we're trying to learn as much as we can and try to plan for different scenarios. And I, I think that um, the biggest area of change will be the financial implications. And so it's, it's critical uh, that universities obviously talk about that and plan for that. Um, that's our biggest area, but I do, the, it's also how are we going to operate um, new, you know, there'll be new issues that will come up. I, I do have experience um, from the from the professional sports point of view. And so I think it's been helpful that um, I've been able to share the experience professionally 
um, on a professional basis to start to think about some of the issues that come up that you don't really anticipate um, at the time of the change. Um, you know, there's staffing, there's all kinds of issues. So um, I, it's been helpful. We've been planning, but one never can plan 100% till we know exactly uh, what is going to change. And that hasn't as yet been determined. And Michigan signed a, a names, images, and likenesses piece of legislation, right? So that is that is yes. law in Michigan. Yes, yes, it is. Okay, so that has that will force your thinking in a way because you'll have to comply with state law. Yes, that's true. That's true. For that, we will plan accordingly. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Well, you are a remarkable person uh, in terms of just your knowledge and breadth of understanding of the sports business but also your commitment to higher education. And I congratulate Michigan on, on um, electing you board chair because it's really a, a unique and important role at a unique and important time. So Denise, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much, Dr. Weaver. I really appreciate it. It's been fun. It's been gr great to have you. Thank you.